All right, everyone. Welcome to season six. This is Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast, and here with me to kick it off on um, the first interview of the season, one of my close uh, buddies, Cliff. How you doing, man? Hi, I'm great, Sergio. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, let, these, let these people know where you're from, man. What, what team you on, or and uh, yeah, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm from uh, Los Angeles, California, or more specifically Glendale, California. I am currently the captain of the Los Angeles Raiders. Uh, which is our team, my team for the uh, USA Premier Tour. Yeah, um, just kind of give a brief summary. I've known Cliff since 2006. I've known you for about six years, and you've about always right, been yep. one of the most chillest, chillest dudes I know, but you're also a legitimate beast <laughs> and someone who I can chat with Premier League all day. Uh, <laughs> so we'll probably save that convo for another time to you know <laughs> have the viewers listen to that. If they want to, they could reach you about that. But um, to kind of get the story started, uh, what's your jersey number and what's the story behind it? Uh, it's funny. So you, you mentioned that we'll talk about the Premier League later. So my jersey number is number 10, um, and that's based on uh, Wayne Rooney, my favorite player. Um, he got me into following soccer. Um, I initially, when I first started playing dodgeball, um, I didn't have a, a number for my sports background to lean on. I was a lineman, so I was like number 79. <laughs> uh, and that's not like a, a nice, sexy number. Uh, so when I joined Valhalla was my first, uh, my first team. And I had 11 because Ryan Giggs, I think 10 and seven were taken. I wanted seven because seven is like the iconic number for Manchester United. You know, George Best, Eric Cantona, Beckham, Ronaldo, uh, Ronaldo again, uh, but seven was taken. <laughs> so I went with number 10, which Wayne Rooney was wearing at the time. Uh, and then also, you know, in soccer, that's kind of, I guess, your playmaker, creative uh, point of attack position. So, uh, yeah, what was number 10? <laughs> I don't want to touch on too much on Man U, uh, considering yeah. the, the ruffle woes there. And me being a Ronaldo fan, uh, it hurts to see him go out like that. Um, but yeah. I'm, if anything, I'm hoping for him to bounce back just for his sake. Anything. Um, he, had a, I, he had a decent season. But yes, it's rough, rough times. But hopefully, it'll get better with the new manager. But that's that's a longer talk for a different time. <laughs> like I said, a longer talk. So let's yeah. get into let's get into your story. Um, how did you? When did you start playing dodgeball? Like, what got you into it? Yeah. So like like many or most people, you know, we played <clears throat> as a young kid in like elementary school or middle school. But uh, when I was in the seventh grade. I was at my gym class Monday through Thursday. They would have the boys on one side of the gym and then the girls separated on the other. And I went to a school with a, a bunch of hillbillies who were wild and like would not, could not be controlled. And my gym teacher, Mr. Holslaw, RIP, uh, he gave up on trying to keep us in line. And so he's like, all right, F it. We're just going to play dodgeball every day. So we played dodgeball every single Monday through Thursday seventh grade boys versus eighth grade boys every day. And then on Friday, we'd open up to the full court and we would do co-ed. Um, and then the Monday through Thursday, we would play with these volleyballs, like these hard, almost like a, I, I don't know what the surface was because it wasn't like a regulation volleyball. It was like a cheaper gym one, but there were these hard volleyballs that we played with. And then on Friday, because it was co-ed, we went to a softer ball, so we played an 8.5 vinyl. <laughs> and, and those those were like the best that was like probably one of my best dodgeball experiences um we, we just played played every single day 
Um, we had like rivalries that would start. People would get out of line. They would get suspended for, oh, you know, the gym teacher would suspend people for games for days, et cetera. And uh, I did that every day for like a whole, whole school year. Um, so that was a bit, and then eventually, I think that next year, um, my, that next year, um, our school system outlawed dodgeball, they banned it. So, um, yeah, the, they, they got rid of dodgeball. So, but that was, that was, uh, I guess my, my start into dodgeball. And then, uh, the next time I started playing like, um, rec league, right. Kind of as an adult, um, I moved to San Diego in about 2013, early 2013. And I had joined, I'm not sure exactly when I played either 13 or 14. Um, I joined a Bobby dodgeball league that played in Pacific beach. Uh, there's a little rec center there next to like a kickball field. And it was a block away from my, where I live. So, I mean, it was lit. I could hit the gym with a, a dodgeball or a baseball. <laughs> um, I, that was the first time I played like adult dodgeball. I joined a free agent team. Um, I did it as a way to kind of meet, make, start to make a social circle, right? I was playing kickball, started to play dodgeball. I was also doing like CrossFit at the time. So I was doing these different things to, to meet folks. And that actually was not a pleasant dodgeball experience for me. Um, we were on a free agent team and we just got massacred. And, and it wasn't just that we would get beat and blown out all the time. That's fine. Uh, if there was more veteran players or people who played all the time that organized teams. And gosh, they were not very nice to us. It was incredibly mm -hmm. rude. Um, they were not encouraging for us to come back. And I remember at the end of the season, um, we had an email if anyone wanted to come back. And I think it was me and one other guy who were down to do it. And everyone else was like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to do it again. And so I was like, all right, I, I didn't have a good enough time to push to get everyone back, or I didn't want to be a free agent again, starting over. So I did not play again until I moved to Los Angeles um, in 2000. And, so I moved to LA in 2015, and then I started playing again in 16. So I yeah. took like a three-year break, um, and I really wanted nothing to do with dodgeball at the time. Uh, that, that, sound, that sounds like a rough story, but at the same time, it's like, I'm going to sound selfish and saying I'm glad you moved up here. Yeah. Because I remember playing against you your first year, your first season, and I don't remember—I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember thinking in the five-minute intro conversation that we had that you were legit a chill dude. Yeah. And yeah. then playing against you, I was like, I would kind of equate that to Dwight Howard in his like early years, like he was just sheer power, like you just had yeah. dominance, but you weren't polished. And yep. maybe the environment that you were in in Vavi didn't provide that because I would argue if that was the case and you moved to LA, you would have been way more of a challenge. And I would say you are a challenge to begin with, but way more of a challenge than what I faced back in the past. Um, yeah, this it's, is something I think, it's something I think about a lot, to be honest, but I, I do think within dodgeball, I, I wish someone would have reached out to me and said like, Hey man, you could be good. Uh, maybe join our team or, hey, work on this. Or instead of just, like, kind of dismissing us. Um, and maybe I would have stuck out for dodgeball. And then, like, instead of entering, like, this premier tour being, like, my fourth season of, like, elite or competitive dodgeball, it would be my 10th, right? Yeah. Or my, you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's something I, I think about the way I felt in that league. 
And that's how I try to bring that approach to when I, because I still play in rec league, whether it's West LA, um, which is a World Dodgeball Society or WeHo Dodgeball. Um, I think about that and I try to make an effort that if there's another potentially good player, right? Or even if they're not good, just someone who's interested in dodgeball, that, uh, you know, I'm the, if my team beats them, you know, I do it in a respectful manner and then I chat them up and like, hey, here's something to work on or, hey, you did a good job, keep your head up, you know, just to help grow the game. So, um, but yeah, so that was my first league. And then the next kind of just what you touched on when you and I met would have been the, uh, the next time I played was in 2016. Roughly, it was like spring, I think it was in the spring of 16. The spring. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I joined in the same week. I had a WeHo Dodgeball season. I did WeHo Dodgeball Thursdays. And then I joined uh, that Walk of Phone League, which is where you and I met. Yeah. Um, and I want to give credit to the person who got who indirectly got me back in the dodgeball, uh, Kyle Cleva, who used to play a lot of WeHo Dodgeball, and he was the MVP of the 2017 Sin City Tournament. Yeah. He worked with my brother's girlfriend at MTV at the time. And when I had moved to L.A., she had suggested um, – trying we have dodgeball out as a way to meet folks and so oh, my friend kyle does it you should check it out so kyle pleva is responsible <laughs> for getting me without him knowing it i think he knows now but he got me back into dodgeball so then i joined i joined we dodgeball and waka and uh it was great i we especially was awesome such a fun environment and everything jake mason runs is super well organized and then through waka and we hope that laid a track down for me to play like in rec leagues and then advanced leagues and then to get asked to uh to join like an elite team eventually in 2017 which is definitely what i want to touch on because it yep. seemed like from when i met you you had um and we're, we're going to use this like wrestling analogy you had like the push right away you had yeah. what i call the, the brock lesnar push because i, I yeah. could I, you you just and, and it was well deserved. Like you had a lot, you have a lot of raw talent. You're way more polished now, but we're talking about 2016. Um, you had the opportunity. Who asked? Who who asked you to join Valhalla? Yeah, so it was uh, Whipple. So I, I, Jonathan Whipple, who's a, a, a close friend of both of us, right? Um, right. I had played against him in WeHo. And then he, he, we played together in like my second season of Waka. And then I started to play with his uh, no steam teams. Got to know him, became friends with him. And then he was the one who approached me up playing Valhalla. I think they had, I was asked to play in the Bond fan, who's another um, instrumental part of my, do, you know, my dodgeball career. Mm -hmm. uh, he had, him and Whipple both approached me for two different teams about playing at nationals. It was in New Orleans. Right. Um, but that was the same weekend of my grandmother's 90th birthday. So I was already committed to go home back home to Indiana for my, my grandma's birthday, which you can't, you know, can't skip grandma's birthday. So um, that would have been my first elite experience, which I think would have been a lot. Because nationally, there's so many good players there. And as you said, I was super unpolished. Like I was a wild man. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so I, the next season for the next season, then Whipple came back and asked if I wanted he asked me to come check out an 8.5 practice at Stoner Rec. And I went there and um, 
I think Vince was the only person I recognized. I knew he wrecked WeHo. Vince Marshbanks was there. And yeah. I, David Tate, who I had met, Christina Wong, Charlie White. I played with them. Um, and I didn't realize I was like I was unofficially trying out for Valhalla. And mm-hmm. so then they asked me to join after that practice, and I did. Um, yeah, so that was that was how I got on the Valhalla. And then, now, I, I will go back and say, I did not quite get the Brock Lesnar push. The Brock Lesnar push would be like, you show up, and then you're on Doom or Rise the next day. <laughs> right? It right. Was, uh, That's uh, fair. Uh, you know, I, I got a... I did start to get picked up. Like I went through in short order. I went through a couple different teams. Um, but yeah, I don't, I wish I got the Brock Lesnar push. Uh, wasn't quite there yet, but yeah, you did. It is when I played in like WeHo, I got, I did an advanced draft league. My second season, no one knew who I was other than Ali uh, Bustamante. And if I mispronounce her name, I apologize. Ali's amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, she knew who I was because she was like running the leagues at the time. And she was a captain and she drafted me in like the last round and no one knew who I was. And then I was on her team and that first night they did like, oh, um, a welcoming, like here are the rules of the league. And then there was a mini tournament. And I remember I was just, you know, teeing off on people, throwing as hard as I could. And then I would be out of position and then I would catch point blank at the line with multiple balls. <laughs> and I was just out of control, no idea what I was doing. And then, like someone like MJ Rios or someone would just like snipe me in the foot. And I'm like, God damn it! Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. I play more controlled now. Um, and then there's a reason, like you know, the next thing I did. So once I got into Valhalla in 2017, my first tournament would have been Elite 2017 at the Galaxy, whatever the LA Galaxy Training Center was. I think in Torrance. In Torrance. Yeah, so that was my first tournament, um, and our Valhalla team, we had a lot of great people on it, Whipple, Tate, um, Alex Claude, Jesse Soto, uh, we're all on the men's team, CJ Garcia, and like we had good players, but man, we were wild. We played, so I watched some video of us, and like, dude, ball control did not exist. <laughs> we were going nuts. <laughs> you know, we were throwing as hard as we could every time, and then Tate's would be just no, just screaming. And <laughs> it was a, it was a lot of fun. That first tournament, Whipple, then Whipple broke his. You know, I don't know if he broke his hand or like tore a ligament, got hit in the thumb. So we lost mm. him for the season. And then you kind of stumble onto when you get in the round two, like the troubles of being, you know, not a, a top flight elite team is like you have such a hard time replacing people and keeping people committed because yeah. the tournament you go to, like we were just getting wiped. Right, rise of just you know two o us, dude. Two like it was just brutal. We get the round two. We got like a local guy to sub for us. Um, I forget his name. Great, he's a super cool dude. Like he played trampoline dodgeball, then just showed up to play point five with us. And like we got destroyed. We got beat so bad. There was a game against Doom. It was they had all six players in against Tate, and all six of them suicided Tate at the same time because mm-hmm. uh, they had all balls. And then after that tournament, I was like, man, I got to get better. And then, or it was around that time, I wanted to get better. So I started, I started joining a bunch of leagues because my thought process was, all right, I can throw pretty uh, good at throwing. I don't need to learn how to throw. I can catch. Um, I couldn't block. I probably still can't block. But uh, <laughs> the catching and throwing was there. I just had to figure out how to play, right? 
And so I started signing up for every dodgeball league I could. I was doing Hollywood on Mondays. I was doing Advanced WeHo on Tuesdays. I was doing Open Gym 8.5 on Wednesdays. I was doing WeHo on Thursdays. On Fridays, I started doing like the free Open Gym in Burbank. And then on, well, I forget what we had on Saturdays. Everyone was like, Tori started doing Open Gyms. I would do that. Yeah. And then on Sundays, what really started to make me a better player is I started driving down to San Diego to practice with Rise. Mm. Um, I had played on a rec league in WeHo with uh, Louisa. Um, remember Louisa from Rise? It's, I, yeah. I'm the most nervous about this part because I've never learned how to say her last name. But she now was recently married. Congratulations. But um, <laughs> well, cool. you know, Louisa, yeah. So I became friends with her. And um, I had heard that they were doing these practice 8.5 practices in San Diego that were super intense. And I'd asked her, I was like, oh, I, if you ever need someone to go with you, I would love to go. And I think she had waited. They, at that time, it was kind of a, more of a closed practice. And you kind of had to be good enough to get invited. Or that's how I felt at the time. But yeah. She eventually, you know, hey, you want to go down? So I, I drove down. And that first practice, it was uh, Tim Fullerton, Surge. Jim, you know, the three, you know, three OG Rise guys. Uh, Justin Pyan was there. Eric Jones was there. Casey Moses was there. I think Tyler Greer came down. Uh, Louisa was there. And we played 8.5 for four hours. And it was awesome. It was very hard. And I, I got my ass kicked. Uh, mm-hmm. But I could tell, oh, man, this is great. Hopefully they'll have me back. And then they say, oh, if you want to come back, just let us know. And then I started going down like every Sunday. For I think at least a year, I drove down. It felt like uh, as much as I could. Uh, you know, there are some practices where like Billy Schmidt would be in town, so you have Billy and Justin, and you just these absolute killers in 8.5. And I would, you know, go down there and play. And I was gradually starting to get better. Um, and then I started to ask questions. Like I, I once I I think everyone kind of got used to me showing up. Um, I would start to like ask Tim a question or ask. Billy a question or ask Serge a question. And then I started to learn more and more. So that really helped me shorten the learning curve um, playing with them. So by the time I got to round three of my first year of elite, I played so much better than I had in round two and in round one. And I, our team was much more organized as well. Would you say they were much, much more organized because of your rise practices and they, they kind of rubbed off on that? Or do you think yeah, that they oh, developed yeah. into that naturally? No, I. it was the rise practices. It made me a much better player. Like uh, just you know, watching Tim play corner and then asking him, oh, hey, man, I, I noticed that they, when they were doing this, you did that. Like, why did you do that? And then uh, you would just tell me. And then – I would try to put that in practice, right? I would, you know, follow it. And uh, yeah. kind of everything like Tim or Serge or Jim told me, I would uh, take as gospel. I don't know if they realized I was doing that, but everything they told me, <laughs> I was like, oh, God. It's, you know, it's like the Ten Commandments have been handed down, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, here, I got I got the Ten Commandments of dodgeball. If whatever you're telling me isn't in line with that, well, I, I don't yeah. listen to you anymore. Um and you still can learn from the, you know, all those people, right? And it's not just the, the three from Rise. Everyone there uh, had a lot. Um, and also just, it was fun because like, we had a good crew for a while where like Luisa, Alex Alvarez, 
uh, Xander, Timos, where we would drive down to San Diego on a bunch of Sundays to go down there. And then I, I kept doing it until like work and personal life changed. And it was just like a big commitment. But there was one, su- there was one Sunday where I drove down to San Diego and I played three hours of no sting. And then I drove back to LA. I played in a one hour like foam that the Melrose phone league. I played foam for an hour. Mm-hmm. And then I did um, UDC practice with doom that Sunday night for like two to three hours. And so I played like, if I do the math, right? Like six to seven hours in one day, roughly three, three different ball types. Um, <laughs> and then, I felt like my arm was going to fall off, but I always did it because I was trying to learn as quickly as possible because I was going against people who had been playing for eight years, 10 years, and I needed to catch up. Um, so that was my thought process, right? Yeah. I wanted to, and I was trying to find the most experienced players and play with them or play against them. And most of the time I was against them because I wasn't, I wasn't getting invited to play on uh, the better teams. So I was just trying to learn as quickly as possible. <laughs> I definitely felt that in my soul. Uh, it looks like you and I had similar beginnings on that end, um, playing essentially eight days a week is what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? Don't worry about it. It just happens. Yeah. Uh, so after Valhalla, yeah. you yeah. would you would be a part of what I would consider the best Riot roster ever assembled. You, Charlie White, Brett Cobble, uh, Kenny Cox, Alex and Mark. Yep. Um, don't think I missed anyone. If I did, I apologize. But as far as that open team is concerned, and as far as you know, me following that team um, for a long, that was the most stacked riot team ever. Did, did <laughs> you say Alex Alvarez? Yeah, I said Alex Alvarez. Oh, you got him. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got him. Um, I'm just trying to think. Was there anyone on that open team that I missed? I don't think there was. No, I, I mentioned think, Kenny. I think, I think you got him. Yeah. Um, you make your yeah, debut yeah. in Northridge, California, in yeah. 2018. How was that experience yeah. like? Yeah, it was good. Well, we technically we played in a Dodgeball Tribune No Sting Foam tournament. Was our first one. Um, oh. Yeah, but we didn't have the full team. Charlie wasn't there, and Kenny wasn't there. Uh, But then we got to, yeah, so we get to Northridge, and um, I was very excited. I was playing, that was, I was looking forward to playing with Mark and um, Kenny. I I knew Alex, I played rec with Alex, and Alex is a great guy, and I, like I said, I spent a lot of time with him going down to San Diego. And it was a solid team. That first tournament was rough. So uh, with that Riot team in 2018 for Northridge, very excited about it because uh, Charlie and I had played together in Valhalla. And I wanted to play with Charlie again because he has, you know, a physical specimen of the beast. Um, <laughs> and then getting a chance to play with Ryan Haley, who had done some you, – you actually – you and I and Ryan played on like a 4v4. You, Ryan, myself, and Claire Cadera played in like a, a one-off tournament. That's who I was missing. Ryan Haley. Ryan Haley. Yeah. That's who I was okay. missing. There we go. Yeah. I was like, I'm missing someone. Ryan Haley. Yeah. My bad. So, so, yeah, excited about that. Northridge did not go the way we had hoped. Um, you know, Charlie got hurt. He got hit in the, directly in the eye to the point where, like, the, the rubber, like, actually, like, made contact and scratched his eye. And his eye started to swell. And so he took a break. And he came back during COVID. 
and then he took another shot in the same eye. And both is that's when he just hit 8.5 for co-ed and and open. He got hit again and it split his eyes. Long term havoc hit him again, and it wasn't a dirty play or anything. It was just you know one of those things that happens. And he cut his eye like wide open, like right on the brow, like a boxer cut. And then so he stopped playing elite dodgeball at that point. Um, he didn't come back because he was getting in the USA handball, beach handball at the time. And uh, one thing with Charlie, if you played with him, I played with him in Bahala and then right, that guy loved flight kills or as we called it then, suicides. He used to do them all the time. Um, I remember we were in, there was no sting knockout. It was the, we are tied up 1-1 and it was Charlie versus one other person. And, and it was no sting, so we didn't have the neutral zone. It was like a hard half line. And he did a, he went and ran and did a suicide with a no sting ball and the player at the back line from the half court. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? He hit the person in the shoe and we won. And then a photographer took a picture of it and Charlie was like flying through the air and he looked cool in it. They, they put a player, they put a player up, like a picture of a player on like the Facebook invite or the yeah. Event invite. Yeah. So Charlie doing the flight kill was the event. I think I think it was round one they had it. And as soon as that had him, I got like, oh my goodness, he's uh, he's never gonna stop. And so then uh, I I love you know I love Charlie, and then he's been crushing absolutely crushing it on the USA. Yes, sir. Wow. Good on him. Hopefully we can get him back for dodgeball. But uh, so Northridge um, was rough, and then we went round two of Portland, and we made uh, some strides as a team there where um, I think we finished fourth. We got knocked out by a tough Titan team. They, it was kind of the Titan crew with Ketchum. And then they had that, um, uh, the team from Grand Rapids, one of the, the O'Brien players, players on their team. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so they knocked us out. That was a good tournament. And then round three, we took a, a bit of a, I think we got knocked out by Titan again. And then nationals was disappointing. And I think um, we underachieved that that team. So like the team kind of broke apart from then. Like Ryan and I wanted to do our own thing. So then we, we made Raiders. And I think about that right team a lot. And I think if I probably would have maybe had a, a little bit more dodgeball experience and was a little bit more comfortable in like adapting how I played with um, around like who was on the team, um, probably kind of probably could have achieved a little bit more. Um, but I enjoy, you know, all those guys were great. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like we left something on the table. Uh, but yeah, the we, we got, yeah, we got bounced like in our second round knockout of 8.5 open. And it was a very disappointing tournament. Um, yeah, and then Ryan and I we wanted to make our own team. That I was about to ask, where did the name Raiders come from? Because the natural assumption, at least from people I spoke with, was yeah. that one of you guys was an Oakland uh, Oakland fan. Well, now a Las Vegas fan. Um, yeah. That you guys just wanted to run with an NFL franchise team. But the logo being super different, obviously, to avoid litigation – that that's what you went with, but you're telling me that this is a Star Wars themed team, and now yeah, it makes it all, all the sense in the world knowing you that it was just who yeah. came up with the name first? Was it you or, or Ryan? So I was against the name Raiders. So we it was based on the Tuscan Raiders. 
Um, yeah, which have gotten that, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, they've gotten a glow up with the Mandalorian series and the Book of Boba Fett. They've gotten more attention. I was against it initially because of the football connection. I was like, well, it's a football team. Because the LA Raiders are all, were they just big Oakland Raiders? Or, because they were in LA, right? For a while. And yeah, I back in the 90s, I think. Yeah, so I was against it for that reason. I forget the other team names we had pitched. I think the one I had wanted... It's not a great name. It was like those like destroyers, the destroyers. Right? Logo. But that got shut down, which I'm good because that's like just kind of dodgeball name. Like, oh, we're the mm-hmm. annihilators. So, so I'm happy with Raiders. I like it now. Um, and that's if you look at our first jersey, which it was big. Wait, it was supposed to be the God, our first jersey is a lesson, and that I think everyone should learn from. Of like, less is more. We had so much going on with that jersey. It, so we wanted to be based on Tatooine, so it has like a sunrise. So we it took that Utah Jazz like uh, alternate uniform with the sunrise that had like the, the horizontal stripes. So it has that. But in addition to that, we have like white ribbing on the side, so like white lines on the side. And then we have the topography of Los Angeles based onto it too. And then we have like Gaffy Sticks, which is the Star Wars logo, which I like on the shorts and on the side. And then we have a logo, which is um, characterization influence logo of like a, what a Tusker Raider would look like. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's got a lot going on. Lot going on. I remember that jersey so vividly. And the fact that you made the Utah Jazz reference, it, it did trigger something in my mind thinking. No, it's that, it is, it's that Utah Jazz, it's that Utah Jazz Sunrise. And it would just add so much going on in our, in our group chat. So at this point, we had kind of put our team together. It was myself, Ryan Haley, and we brought in Dan Robinson, and then Colin Means, Aaron Felton, and David Green. Um, I think it was the initial crew. Yeah, that was the initial crew. And then uh, we were voting on jerseys and ideas. And I, you know, that idea, the current came up when they're like, oh, we can do the sunrise. And then, oh, let's do the topography of Los Angeles. And then, oh, let's do this stuff on the side, like these white hashes or whatever. And I was like, hey, guys, like we just have like a lot going on. Let's just back it off. Um, less is more when it comes to uniforms. Um, you mentioned earlier the Oakland Raiders. They have the best uniform in like pro football. It's simple, right? It's black and it's silver. Like the Denver Broncos, they added that side stripe in like 1999 or whatever it was. And it was cool at first, but you look at it now and you're like, I don't know, man. Their old school orange ones might look better. Like simple, nice, right. clean, like the Penn State, Notre Dame, their football uniforms, simple <laughs> and clean. Same thing with like the New York Yankees. The, u- the best uniforms are simple with a good color scheme. And then I was begging everyone, like trying to be polite, like, hey, what if we just like, did all of this, but maybe not the topography. And I just kept getting outvoted. And everyone's like, oh, no, dude, this is cool. Add it, add it, add it. Um, <laughs> and so we ended up with it. And then our next uniform, we just did black ones. And we got rid of the topography. We got rid of the color gradient. And um, everyone liked those more, I think. But the, just a lesson for everyone making a dodgeball jersey. Less is more. Um, um, I joke that. Every a lot of dodgeball uniforms look like a twelve-year-old designing a uniform for an XFL team. 
where it was just like too, <laughs> too crazy. Uh, we're the fire busters and we have fireballs and stripes and all this crazy shit. And, um, and uh, if like you look at the, the old gridlock uh, uniforms were always my favorite. Yeah. The rugby jersey. I was actually going to say that. And the, the horizontal bars like the, or in England called the hoops or whatever of just a red and gray. Clean. Looks good. Um, so, yeah, that, that was we wanted to put together well, Raiders. The, our main goal was, was put together a team of people with good attitudes that um, are going to play clean dodgeball, are going to not be a pain and like ruin the weekend or freak out and yell at people and cuss. And yeah, everyone kind of loses their cool every once in a while. That's fine. But just not be a, uh, a consistent issue. And we definitely achieved that. Um, and everyone has been. You know, everyone's kind of bought in, like, hey, we're going to try to get better. Because the only way for us to, to beat these super teams uh, that have, like, an unlimited source of talent across the country is Pretty we're much. just going to have to be well-drilled. And, um, you know, one of these tournaments will show up and we'll eventually maybe we'll catch people off guard and get one. So we're getting better. Um, that's been the goal. I, I really – the team that I like to model ourselves off of I like I, like Fortune. You got Fortune in Seattle. Um, you know they got Lucas, who's like an amazing player. I was very confused. I didn't like was his name Lucas or Lucas. Like what is going on? But yeah, <laughs> uh, super nice dude. But he I remember the first time I played him eight point five. He's a real skinny guy and he threw a ball and it felt like I got hit by a sledgehammer. I was like holy <laughs> shit. And um, but their team's like super well drilled. And then they had. Uh, round one of would have been 2019 in Arizona. That was the first round of Raiders. I think they finished second. And they did yeah. by, you know, playing team. You know, this is a well-drilled team. And then uh, at FTC in Dallas this year, the foam tournament, like, they they won it. They won it. I, I think it was in the November, December, whenever it was. And man, they, they didn't just win it. They were running people off the court. Yep. And uh, it was amazing. And, you know, that's a team. It's all Seattle players. And I don't know, you know, all the ins and outs of their team, right? So I don't – but, it's you know, Seattle-based players who um, have teamed up and they work together and they practice together. And um, that's how I want Raiders to be modeled after, right? Because if they can win, um, you know, we that's, how, that's our path to victory is the fortune model. Um now, obviously, they have amazing players on that team. Uh, you know, they're, they're super talented, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have several Team USA guys, too. And then you got guys like, you know, Bill Fisher, varying the stats and looking at all that. So they got a lot going on up there. But, yeah, that's how, um, that's how I like to model our team after. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, I, in a way, it kind of sounds like you're downplaying yourself. And I wouldn't, I would advise against it. I would, yeah. you know, and the reason I would say that is, I don't know, again, this is going to be kind of nerdy, but I'll, I'll make this quick. Did you see the Undertaker documentary? Last Ride? No, I, yeah. I, 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 watched, I watched episode one, not, um, I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay, well, not, it's not going to spoil the whole thing or anything, but there's this scene, and I won't say where it happens, or yeah. what the context of it. But uh, Mark Calloway, a.k.a. The Undertaker, has moments of doubt. 
Yeah. And Triple H, Paul Levesque, whoever wants to know, uh, oh, yeah. goes up to him and says, remember who you are. You're fucking Undertaker, right? Yeah. Remember who you are. You belong here. Yeah, he did that with Ric Flair, too. Yeah. Because Ric Rick, Rick Flair, like, before they started Evolution, was kind of uh, down on himself. And Triple H was like, yo, dude, you're Ric Flair. Act like it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, the, re- the reason I bring that up is because I know, I know where you started, and I know yeah. where you are now. Yeah. And even though you may not see that, you know, maybe you not don't see it now, I'm asking you, and I'm actually telling you as a friend, yeah. remember who you are. Yeah. Well, you know it, what I mean? Yeah, like just, I, and, you know listen, I, I appreciate that. That means a lot. <laughs> I mean, I don't indirectly compare me to uh, The Undertaker. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm not sure if that's what you're doing, but I'll just no I'll just more so the moment, but yes, <laughs> yeah, um, more so the moment. But yeah, um, so, <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying, but I, and I don't the way I come from it, like like my it's more it's more of a reflection of how good the other teams are. Not no, that's also fair. How bad <laughs> are like how not good we are, or like where, where we need a game. Um, <laughs> but. You know, there's I every tournament I come out of every tournament, and um, we I have yet to win like a, an elite round or a premier league round, and we're placing better. Um, but like, you know, I think we, you know the, it's tough to tell and do a historical comparison now because I'm coming out of COVID. Like, just the size of the tournaments on the West Coast are different, right? Yeah. I think, like before COVID, like we're getting like 24, 8.5 teams or something insane. And now it's like 12 to 16. So, you know, people just get back into it. But, um, you know, we're, I just, I try to, we try to play better each tournament. Um, I always, I always, I mean, it's a, the next day is always rough because I'm always disappointed. And us not, anytime we don't win, which we haven't won, so just about every tournament, I go <laughs> through a period where I'm just like very, very, very in the dumps, right? And on the way to get out, I just, Go through all the video and just write down all the things I screwed up and all the things I need to improve upon, right? And then if I don't know how to fix them, I try to figure out who, like, who's going to know how to get better at that. Um, for example, I think my first season on Raiders, I forget when I did this, but I was having trouble, especially on like Bahala, where I would get double teamed because they on a team where you're kind of disorganized. Other good teams, like, oh, if they have one arm, we'll just double or triple up on him, and then the rest will kind of fall apart with, you know, mm. what they're planning on. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, I was having trouble with that, so I would go ask Tim. I'm like, Tim, pull with him. When I go to practice, go, you get doubled up all the time. People are throwing two or three, you know, like, every time. Like, how, what do you do? And he would, you know, give some advice, and then I would try to put that in practice, right? I would... I, there was something that I was going to have to learn how to play against. Um, and so then you go find someone who's good at it and you ask them. Um, so you try to get better. And then, uh, you know, watching game tape. I know one of the things you guys, you know, you talk about on your podcast is like, you know, watching tape and who you like to watch. So I'll try to find tape of players that I think are great or players that they may not even be the best player, but there's something they do really well. I want to get better at that specific skill, so I'll watch them 
and I'll keep track of like when they're doing it, what are the situations in which they do it, how do they, you know, et cetera. And I try to adjust um, my game accordingly. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we're getting better. I think, yeah, um, I forget. Sorry, I've lost my place. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. I'll, I'll try to steer you in line. Um, but no, everything you said makes sense. And I definitely see the strides and the improvements that you've made, even after yeah. you know, coming out of the pandemic and, and whatnot. But I want to take a trip in the past. Uh, you did yeah, say yeah. you were an active kid um, and you said you played football. Was there any other sports you played growing up? Yeah. I, uh, so I went to uh, my high school. I went to a small, I was a small town, so a small high school. So like it's one of those things where if you're any kind of any kind of athlete, they needed you to play all like three sports a year. So I played uh, I played football, I wrestled, and I played baseball. Um, I played baseball through my senior year. Uh, I was I, I was a very very mediocre baseball player. I got hit in the head in little league, and I think from then on I was afraid of the ball, so I was never a great hitter. Um, I should have just. I, going back, I wish I would have just stood in front of a pitching machine and just took balls to the chest. Like, uh, or, okay, sounds <laughs> odd, but take a baseball, whatever. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Uh, take no. baseballs to like like that, like the way like Happy Gilmore. Happy did. Gilmore. Yeah, I should have just done the Happy Gilmore uh, to get over it. But uh, that's where I learned to throw. I was a pitcher. We used to show up even in like preseason. We would go in the mornings, like every morning, get to the gym. Not every morning, a couple, a couple days a week. You'd get there at five in the morning. You would pitch until like six thirty and get ready for school, and then you would go practice baseball afterwards. Um, so that's where my throwing uh, comes from. And then um, I was probably best at, at football, but I was a, a lineman to play both offense and defensive line. And I wasn't even that big of a guy. Like I'm the same size I was like my senior year, about two fifteen, two twenty. Mm. Um, but we, um, once again, went to a small school and I, I got, I was a chubby middle schooler who learned the fundamentals of blocking and I used to squat, I could squat a, a bunch, a lot of very strong legs. So I taught myself how to block and I was fundamentally sound in blocking. And so then as I grew, you know, I shot up and got taller and I wasn't a chubby, bigger boy anymore. Um, I, I had to stay on the line because no one else knew the hell they were doing. I was on a very bad football team, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love, love very active, love sports. And then I was happiest, like, you know, from a mental health perspective, right? Exercise is important. And I always enjoy being active through sports. So coming out of college, once I started to work, um, in order to find more balance in life, um, I I looked to get involved in like a team sport, and that's what brought me into. Started first with kickball, and done some softball, but both were slow, too slow for me. Not enough going on, and dodgeball was the perfect fit, right? Because um, I knew how to throw. Um, and I was able to use that skill, and there was just so much going on at once that it was fun because so fast paced and everything. So, um, yeah. I enjoy it. That's why I was attracted to dodgeball. And then, um, yeah, so I got the bug and I launched, you know, as I mentioned, I did those rec leagues and then just one, you know, got super into it, wanted to get better, started seeking out people who would make me better, seeking out more play. I used to take an 8.5 ball to the gym with me every morning. So after I got lifting, 
I would throw 20 minutes of long toss at the basketball court. So I would I would clock myself, you know, put 20 minutes on the clock, and I would throw across the gym as hard as I could uh, for 20 minutes every day to try to get my arm strength up. Um, and then yeah, I, then I started to do it with no sting balls, and I started doing it with foam balls. Um, yeah, I just became obsessed with dodgeball. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, like I said, it looked like we had similar uh, beginnings and trajectories. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, did you have any role models growing up? And as a part two to that question, do you have anyone in dodgeball that you look up to? Yeah, I mean, role models growing up, my parents uh, were great. My dad's one of those super hardworking guy who you'll never hear him complain. Uh, but he you know, just does a lot to take care of the family. Uh, great guy. Uh, my mother, uh, look up to her. She runs a non-profit senior center in our hometown. And she just, you know, it's something I think that servers have been neglected in a small town. And she just went over, um, you know, I guess above and beyond what her job description called for and has done a lot with it. You know, she showed like how much passion, um, if you had, if you're passionate about something, you can find happiness at like work or whatever you're doing and then have a positive impact on other people. And especially as like our, my hometown is so small and everyone's been moving out um, and the population is aging. Um, they're doing a lot, a lot for people there. So uh, I look up to both of them. Um, and then, you know, I guess role models outside of that, uh, you know, I, I had you know, some teachers, my wrestling coach, Jake O'Neill, he was a great, he turned my, he came to our high school and turned our high school into a wrestling kind of juggernaut within the single A distinction at, uh, in Indiana, which is kind of a small school system. And then yeah. he's gone on to Warren Central, which is the biggest high school in Indiana. He's now the head coach there. But uh -huh. he was, uh, he was a great guy who treated everyone like a family. You know, he would look after you. Um, even after you graduated, he would always check in on you. Um, he looked after both myself and my brother. So, uh, to the role model of mine. Um, and then a bunch of other, but within dodgeball, I mean, I get the people I look up to, like the play styles, you know, there's guys like, like Justin Pyan. When I saw him at those nationals, I think, I guess 2017 in Boston in the final, like I watched him just destroy some people. And I was like, dude, that guy is incredible, <laughs> but I can't play the way he can. Like I, you know, our skill sets don't match. Right. No, it's a fool's errand trying to play like Justin because I'm not going to be able to do it. Right. Uh, so the guys I've looked up to, like Tim Fullerton and Lucas, not saying I can do what they do, but um, well, you respect my, my, yeah, respect them. My skill set aligns more with that. And then, you know, Tim's just so smart the way he plays, um, the way he calls plays, um, his patience. You know, we talked about early on, the thing I struggled with. <laughs> um, dodgeball was I was a wild man, and he's like the complete opposite of that. And then oh, yeah. Lucas and Bill and those Fortune guys, the way they operate a team, um, and how organized they are, and how they communicate. Um, yeah, I, if I could play like anybody, it'd be Lucas and Tim, um, and then I would be an amazing player. But yeah, those are the two guys I look up to, probably the most within dodgeball. And there's a bunch of others. There's a whole list of people along the ways. Um, you know, along with that, like Jonathan Whipple. You know, he's our friend, like the way he, his little Throbocop family, he's one of the <laughs> first people to bring me in and then, um, 
um, helped me kind of find a, a friend group and feel kind of at home within LA. And then David Tate's too. Like I was only on Bahala for a season, but I'm still good friends with Tate's to this day. And you see what he's doing with like River City Dodgeball in Sacramento. Like the yeah. guy, um, he's building the community up there. He's very passionate about it. Um, and I also got to mention Brendan Cadell is great because that those are the three people I play Call of Duty with: Brendan, David, and Whipple. So I, I can't leave Brendan out. Great dude, yeah. good friend, uh, <laughs> another quality guy I've met through dodgeball. Um, sure. And then he's also been a person I can go to, like with both all three of them really. But Brendan's like you know, uh, outside of dodgeball, professionally like getting prepared for like interviews or like how to learn, you know, handle myself in business. Like he, he's been a great resource there too. So, yeah, those are my role models. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I would say, yeah, I would agree with Tim. Uh, Whipple, uh, for those who don't know, yeah, he's a personal friend of ours. Um, if I can be a tenth of leader, that man is, as well as Tim, and I'll even throw him in there, so, as well as Steve, Steve Damon, uh, that'll be a better man for it. Um, yeah. Their leadership yeah. often has an impact on me one way or another. And with Whipple being the common factor in all of this, um, he's definitely saved me a few times. And I say that from a mental health perspective, he's definitely saved yeah. me. He's a good, good um, dude. Um, great so. guy. Uh, Jake, uh, Jake Mason runs WeHo. That's an incredible league. His administrative skills are beyond anything I'm capable of. The way he organizes a tournament and everything is on time, I just like, you know, Sin City is my favorite tournament in dodgeball. And it is so well run every single year. And it's the best blend of like having fun and being competitive and everything is organized. And he's like, I, I see the way he organizes all that, all that stuff. And it's like, man, he's, it's like magic. I don't understand how I'm so administratively strong. I can barely, <laughs> I can barely remember like, my appointments during the day and I double book stuff all the time and organizationally I'm constantly struggling to be aware of my calendar and this guy just pulls off these tournaments and is building a USA dodgeball and I don't know how he does it well I know how he does it he worked really hard he's very dedicated he's very organized but um you mean like what up like how he's like how what 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 fuels him kind of right like <laughs> yeah, well it just it, it, the admin skills it takes to pull off what he does are is unbelievable might as well be, you know, Merlin um, or Gandalf or whatever wizard you want to use. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, that does it for my role models. Um, All right. Uh, the next one, and this is sort of a new wrinkle um, that yeah. I threw in here. So, yeah. who's a rival team or player that you look forward that you, that you have that you look forward to facing that you know you have to be on your A game for? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of them. I mean, to be on my A game. Um, you know, essentially just look at who's been, win who wins tournaments, you know, like I think Thieves just won the round two tournaments. Um, Anarchy run one round one in the West. Um, I guess Crisis or Hex now, like they're not my rivals because, you know, we're still working up to uh, that level. Um, but those right. are the teams are, you know, like if we have a chance of beating them, like everything's got to go right and I can't make mistakes. Um, and I, you know, look forward to playing the best. That's how you get better. Um, and then also, like, anytime you get to play, like, Riot, you know, it used to be Riot or Anarchy, 
that was the only time you'd actually get tape on those guys. I don't think they share because they, they keep it all secret. I, was I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I was like, all right, I got tape on Tim Fullerton. and I get to watch what he does. Um, yeah, and then also like I look forward to playing like the Fortune, Fortune and Rainbows, the guys from the Pacific Northwest. Um, they're always fun to play against. They're super well organized, and you know Rainbow along with Fortune. You know they they're a team built with Portland players. They have a, a style of their own, and they're organized, and I always like playing against them. I guess Andy Markings now on that team. He's not from Portland, but I like Andy a lot. Um, he's a guy I've played with here in LA a bunch. Um, so I know I just gave you like a million people. I don't. I don't. That's, I don't that's I have fine, a rival, but the, those are the teams I look forward to playing against. Um, those really well organized, those good teams, because it, it lets you know where we stand. You know, it's a good benchmark. Um, like, yeah. all right, we've been practicing, we're getting better, and then you play against them, and like, oh, here's how much further we need to go. Yeah, and no, I mean, when I ask that question, it's not exclusively one team, one person. I mean, you can answer sure. as many people as you want. If you want to say, yeah. you know, it's the top of the mountain, it's whoever's at the top of the mountain. You know what I mean? Don't don't yeah, apply. I, That's, it's your, oh, no, it's your no, answer. No. Also, uh, I got a, another random one, like within dodgeball play style. Sure. Um, uh, Becca Slipka, I think she's on she on Invasion. Yeah. Uh, that lady is <laughs> she's she a killer, is, like, dude. So good, and she does such a good job. She's a very patient player, and she is like my absolute kryptonite because I am a big dude with size fourteen feet who. I will try to throw as hard as I can, and then I got to make sure I try to get back because she'll just be at the middle line. Yeah. Um, and uh, playing against her, you learn a lot about you know how to get better at like court awareness and like situation, like when you get down to one on ones because she's hard, so hard to get out. Um, and there's a lot to learn from a player like that. That um, I guess like like a power thrower type player is like, that's how I tried to play. I used to throw harder than I do now, but yeah. um, there's a lot to learn from like playing against that type of style. Um, yeah. So I'll put her up there too. I will say this. Uh, her name doesn't come up nearly as often. Not that I can yeah. recall, but I've been, we've been friends for, God, 12 years. Damn, it's been a long time. And I would credit her improving my dodging a lot yeah. because yeah. I have size 10 feet. I like to think I throw hard. <laughs> I'm not size 14, but I have yeah. size 10 feet. Um, but she she would do the same thing to me. And she would teach me, like, you know, she would tell me, like, how to be aware and show me where I'm vulnerable. And I like to think in some ways that's definitely helped me because a lot of times I can – dodge at the last second or you know move and and give our our team a chance to have two or three balls in our possession and i credit yeah. that entirely uh entirely to rebecca the og so she, and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah she's very nice but, you know i put on a couple teams with her and she's never specifically told me like i hear something to get better at but it's when i played against her it's very clear where my shortcomings are <laughs> i'm clearly not good at this situation and so what is she doing um, so I got to figure out how to get better at that. So, uh, well, you got to ask her. That, first. that, that, that goes to Charlie. I know Charlie White had a question over, uh, you know, who are some of your female, do- favorite female dodgeball players? Uh, Becca Slifka's up there, uh, for sure. Along with, um, 
to the uh, uh, Aaron Gabbard. I always enjoyed playing with her, and I, I think she would. She might throw something at my head if I don't mention her. And then uh, Lauren Hoffman's another one where she throws just absolute rockets and it catches everything. Um, those are three of my, I guess, my favorite women players. And there, you know, there's a the list goes on and on, right? Those are the three top of my head. Um, so now that we've kind of segued into that, let's go into the crowdsource questions. Um, in following with the wrestling theme that we've kind of touched on here and there, Markel Stokes, yeah. who are your top five favorite tag teams? All right. So mine, mine's very influenced by the Attitude Era. It's going to, uh, New Age Outlaws were my favorite. I don't know if they're considered like the best, but they were the, the New it's, Age Outlaws. Right. And then Hardy Boys. Uh, the Shields, the Dudley Boys, and then for the fifth, I really like Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. I know Tyson Kidd, he got hurt, hurt his yeah. back, but they seemed like they were doing something new every time they went out there. And then an honorable mention would go to the Hart Foundation. They were before my time when I got into wrestling, and it, I had, they're on my list of um, people I want to go back and watch more of their, their tag team work with uh, the Anvil and the Hitman. Um, yeah. you know, I'm familiar with Brett's uh, solo career, but uh, yeah, so I, I would put them as an honorable mention. I haven't watched enough of them to put them in my top five, but I'm sure they'll be there. I mean, they'll definitely be. Um, I'm I'm happy that you put the shield in there um, yeah. Be, because, yeah, uh, I'm just going to say it right now. Um, they're easily for me top three. They're not even top five. They're top three. I'm an idiot. Uh, I just started to eat something, and so if you hear me chewing, everybody, I apologize. Well, I forgot what I was doing. Yeah, but and then the Shield, like I, one of my favorite matches, like I got back into wrestling, um, in like 2013, like when The Rock, whenever The Rock came back for WrestleMania, I was like, oh, I got to tune back in. Yeah. Um, and then the Shield, when they were doing the the six ta six man tag matches against um the Wyatt family, that like, oh my god. <laughs> so they had a run there where they were with Bray um, and Harper and um, oh God, what I forget his name. Eric Rowan. Yeah, Rowan. Because yeah, R.I.P. Um, Brody Lee. Yeah, Brody Lee. Uh, <laughs> those three guys versus the Shields. That was awesome. And then they had that run against Evolution, the six-way tags against Evolution, which were awesome. And then they split the Shield. But uh, yeah, I, the six-way tag matches were were great. Who was your Who was your favorite Shield member? Uh, Rollins. I think Rollins is the most. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's definitely. I mean, I like Ambrose. Um, not or uh, it's not Ambrose. It's either Rollins or Reigns. I mean, Roman Reigns has been absolutely crushing it. Yeah. Um, and with the bloodline <laughs> angle. Um, but I love I mean, Rollins is great. They're both. I, I don't know. It's hard to pick between the two. It re it really is. Um, but for me, I would have I would have picked Ambrose or okay. Moxley. Yeah. Like just because, yeah. like, as a kid, I was kind of like the wild card in that sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> untamed so, but trained. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about Ambrose, I mean, the only thing I don't like about Ambrose, his punches are so wild. It's like okay, this is clearly. I mean, it's obviously all pre-planned, right? But it's like, oh, his punch, let's tighten him up just a little bit. But, um, but I also think that's part of his mystique, though. 
They're supposed yeah, to be wild. He's just, he's, just, he's just a wild man. Yeah, I guess yeah. right. Yeah, but Rawls and Reigns, I don't. I, it's, it's tough to pick between the two. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I will say this before we go to the next question. Um, when Rollins came out to the Shield anthem in uh, January, yeah, I lost my mind. Yeah, I lost my mind. I was like the perfect yeah. troll. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, who are your top five champions? Yeah, I my favorite champion of all time is the corporate rock. When he uh, the whole angle of him and mankind. So when he <laughs> when he got the belt because he was, you know, he was faced there and then he flipped at a Survivor Series in the single elimination tournament. Yep. When he teamed with the corporation, and then he was such a good heel, and the chase when Austin was trying to chase him down. And then um, his heel work, and then his matches of Mick Foley uh, were, you know, were crazy. That Royal Rumble match with the handcuffs and the chair shots were wild. And um, so Corporate Rock, and then a two. I mean, I mean, I listen, I'm not a wrestling historian, but yes. I think Rowan Rain, Roman Reigns Roman currently is has a great run. And I was like Bret Hart. You know, going back and watching, once again, it's kind of before my time. Um, yeah. But going back and watching this stuff, I always liked how seriously he took the title reign. Um, so Bret Hart, and then like, you know, Stone Cold with the Smoking Skull Bells, I love too. But, uh, yeah, those are my probably my top champs. Uh, I know. Hold on. Let me sit back down. My feet fell asleep. Um... <laughs> I will say, I'm glad you put Roman Reigns up there, but for me, the best champion ever, Triple H. Because you know, he I, was, I, I, I was just thinking that. Because he, he yeah, had a yeah. reign of terror that you, you had to respect, but you wanted to see end because he was that yeah. good as a heel. Yeah. I would put him, even though I'm an Austin fan, yeah. I would put Triple H as like the greatest champion in my, in my time. Well, well, the most successful, I think I was listening to, I don't know if it was JR or Stone Cold or somebody talking about, the most successful periods in wrestling are when you have a heel champ that is, excuse me, uh, a heel champion who's being chased by the babyface, right? The cha- okay. And then once the, once the babyface gets the belt, it's not as interesting, right? But then it's all about having a heel that keeps cheating. Like, um, you know, Triple H, I used to get so mad, even though I knew it was all planned. When he would bring the sledgehammer out, I was like, "Dude, like, oh, that son of a gun!" You know, and Jr. would just be screaming, "Son of a bitch! Son of a bitch! Yeah, damn it, you dirty son of a bitch!" You know, like, and, you know, HBK is getting dragged out, you know, you know, you know, covered in blood, and you know, Triple H is just beating him. I've had enough, God damn it! You know, like all that is great. Um, and then you just wanted to see Triple H lose to everybody. And then once you get that moment, it's amazing, right? Exactly. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I can't really argue against that. I mean, the heel champs are the best. And if you go back long enough, you know, like Ric Flair's title run in the NWA era where he was just going pound to pound, putting on, you know, marathon matches every single night, showing up, um, hungover. Super, super hungover, you know, drinking till four in the morning and then putting on an hour clinic at night. Um, like that, that stuff's good too. And then every, you know, the whole hometown would show up to, to see Rick Flair lose. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, those, 
Yeah, Triple H is a good one. Markel, if you were a WWE superstar, what would your finisher, what would be your finisher, and what would you call it? I don't know what I call, it, but my finisher is the flying headbutt. Was my favorite move, Chris Chris Benoit. Um, knowing what we know about Chris Benoit, maybe that that move. I don't think they allow it anymore. It's not. Um, yeah, that was always that, and then like uh, I like the Eddie Frog Splash or the uh, Macho Man Elbow or HBK's Elbow, and then from like a a non off the top rope move. I Man, I don't like I Benoit was one of my one of the wrestlers I liked. I love the crippler cross face, you know, the cross face. That would that would have been my choice. Yeah. And then the stunner is like the best finishing move of all time. Hands in down. my opinion. Yeah, because you get the whole setup. Because you, <laughs> you you get the kick and then you anticipate it and then you see it. Uh, yeah. Uh I would say either the cross face or the pedigree, hands down. Yeah, pedigree is another God, that's another great one. And I love how Rollins um, took on the pedigree um, and was doing it. Yeah, you know, the, the curb, the curb stomp's another good one. I know they kind of, they got rid of it for a while. Like, he's, he's doing it again, but the curb stomp was great. Um, just because it was just such a heel finisher. You know, it's yeah. Like a move. It's like such a, like, oh, dude, you're stomping on someone's head. And, you know, I think they outlawed it just because another media it's like you know it's pretty vicious right and it's not necessarily like a fun move but uh, that was a great heel move i wouldn't adopt that move but um it's like an effective one but and then you have what was it wrestlemania was it wrestlemania 31 where orton flipped out of it and did a, the rko yes he popped it. yeah that was sick um that was another good finisher that that man can do that finisher at any given time, and I love it. Um, yeah. So, Alan Thomas, this one's a really good one, and yeah. this is something I'm I would love to touch on personally, but I want to hear your your thoughts on it. What should USA Dodgeball do about players who regularly are reported for breaking the rules? Now, here's what he adds to the question uh, to the comment thread: What should the threshold be? Maybe describe your thoughts on how it should be. Escalated on repeated offenses. Yeah. It, so one one thing I want to address. Uh, first, I think one thing that needs to get adjusted with the rule set is I think we got to get rid of finger outs. Really? So internet, yeah. So isn't international cloth rules like your fingers are considered part of the ball, right? I believe. Don't know. No, it isn't. You sure? All right. We might have to. All right. We'll I'll have to look that up, but no, it, it's not played that way in the UK. I thought that was a rule. So I could be wrong. I don't listen. I'm not the rules guru. I don't know it all. But, but <laughs> here, here's why like, it starts with finger outs. Finger outs are impossible to enforce. As a referee, it's so hard to call because everything's happening so fast. And it's, you know, we don't have instant replay. And amidst like counting the balls and getting the throw clock and making sure people are not crossing the middle line. It's so hard to see if someone flips a finger, right? And so if you can't enforce it, you're almost just punishing the super honest players because only the super honest players are going to take finger outs because it's just a, a sad fact dodgeball. A lot of people don't take finger outs, right? Sure. Um, you see it happen and then by having it as a rule, 
you know, a certain pl certain players are not impacted by that rule because they're not going to take finger outs. So now the honest players are at a disadvantage, right? And you can't even enforce it. So I think you got to adjust, get rid of finger outs, maybe move in. So if you're, you know, if the rebuttal to that would be, well, okay, so you're not going to take finger outs and you're not going to take handouts either. Yeah, but you can call a handout. Like a referee can see a ball hit a hand. Right, and that's enforceable. So you gotta, I think you gotta adjust it because then it evens the playing field a little bit. So that is something I think just makes complete sense. Um, but what would you do about repeated offenses as far as yeah, changing? So, yeah, to the next point. Um, so it's tough, like you gotta start suspending people. Um, you gotta start kicking people from tournaments. Um, What's, you know, it's got to be repeat offenders because there are moments where uh, I played in the tournament. I, I mentioned it earlier. My first tournament with Riot was a foam no steam tournament for the Dodgeball Tribune. And after it, um, I sent me a clip. He was like, hey, man, what happened here? And it, he had thrown a ball and it hit me in the knee and I didn't go out. And like at the time, like I had done a death drop and my knee pad slid down and I hurt my knee and it was filled with like fluid. And then I had the fluid on my knee and two knee pads that I was playing on that day. And I just didn't mm. feel it, unfortunately. And, and then I go, dude, I, yeah, I'm out. I didn't feel it. I apologize, et cetera. Like, I wouldn't want to see that situation, like, suspend someone. But when you have um, documented cases of people clearly cheating, um, yeah, you got to start kicking them out of tournaments or banning them. Because um, I, I think, you know, to my earlier point, Right when I was talking about uh, what what kept me from continuing with dodgeball when I was in San Diego, as you know, as dodgeball players right now, we owe it to the community to grow the game, to keep new players in, keep growing it, and like cheating absolutely kills it, kills the vibe. Right, of course. as a as a team that like we're like a mid tier team that is working on getting better. And we are not a favorite to win any tournament that we go to, right? Every tournament that we go to, like on the West or at Nationals, there's like two, maybe three teams that are favorites to win or you expect to win. And then our team is like, oh, everything, if everything goes right, we have a chance to win, right? And that's what makes it worth traveling to tournaments for, right? I just want the chance to win. But then when you play a team, they, they might even be – if they kick my ass, I got no problem with that. It's fair and square. They're a better team is what it is, right? But then if you mix in that with some un, you know dishonest play, it kind of makes me go, Ooh, it's not even worth – like why spend all the money to travel to Vegas or to travel to these different tournaments? Like why am I taking time away from like my family, right? Because it's a big ask for not just, you know, you take time off work. You tell, I could tell my fiance, like, hey, I can't do plans for this, like, week period because I'm going to be in Minnesota for nationals. And then you have someone cheat, and that makes you not want to do it again. And then, um, so I, I, and what's tough is it becomes a, con it, you know, it's on people to get together video clips and submit it or whatever. And, like, that takes time, too. So like, yeah. the cheating not only like impacts the immediate tournament, and then it's going to keep going on unless people take time, you know, further time out of their life 
to then go through and track down crap or whatever, however you would submit it, right? Right. And um, so if they're repeat offenders, you got to kick them from a tournament. You got to block them. Like, oh, you, hey, you're, I don't know what the threshold is, right? I think if you have a tournament where, you, you know, they got clear evidence of it, and or definitely, if it's like really egregious, then you should get a warning. Hey, if it keeps happening, you're going to get suspended for a tournament. But then if there's something where you have like three or four or five or six things from a player who should know better, uh, boot them from a tournament, they do it again, kick them out, blackball them. Um, and then you might say, oh, well, this is an influential player. You had a lot of friends. Like, well, the, in the short term, yeah, you might have some people who boycott with them, right? But like in order to grow the game, you got to deal with it. Um, and I, sure. yeah, I, I think suspension and then kicking people out. Um, that might seem hard and it's probably some middle ground in there, but it, none of it's going to, you know, the behavior I mean, doesn't stop until there's, you know, the, the risk of cheating, like the, the risk of cheating right now is not even close to what the reward is, right? You can go deeper in tournament runs, you can win medals or whatever, right? Or you have a chance of winning medals. And the risk is... I don't even know what the risk is because I don't no. think I don't know if there's currently a suspension system. I don't know how it works, right? I mean, and, oh. <laughs> go continue. I'll, I'll wrap up my thought after. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you need, and, and anytime, like anytime that, uh, like whatever the threshold is, you have to come up with it. You got to clearly, clearly communicate it to everyone. And everyone needs to understand what the rules are. And then once they're set in place, you just got to enforce it. And it doesn't matter who you are, right? It can be a new player, right? It can be an experienced player, right? You have to enforce it without bias. And then everyone will, will learn, will stop. Behavior will adjust to it, right? Agreed. Um, I don't believe, that, or rather, I do believe there is a suspension thing in place, yeah, but there's yeah. one there's one thing I will have to say, um, yeah, and maybe yeah. I'm just the outlier. I can tell when a ball hits someone's fingers, and I call it. I, now I don't know, like I'm not going to sit here and say 20 percent of the refs I know, 30 percent. I'm just speaking for me. Mm-hmm. I can tell if it hits someone's fingers based on their technique, based on the impact, yeah. based on their reaction, based on a little twitch in their eye, like "ooh, that hurt" kind of thing. Yeah, like you can read it. You can read it in someone's body language, like if. Let's say, for example, if I hit you in the gut, you're yeah. gonna flinch a bit. You know, yeah. you know, it may not hurt as much. I might not go full speed, or I may go full speed. However, you're gonna have some kind of reaction to it. Yeah. Now, let's say yeah. if a fly hits you in the chest, you're probably not gonna feel that. The yeah. devil is yeah. in the details. You can tell when someone gets hit in the fingers. Now, if you don't see it, don't call it. Obviously, but I'm just saying from a personal perspective, I can call that. I can see it. Now, maybe my head will be swiveled one way and a throw happens and I miss it. Okay, that happens. Then I got to trust yeah, my I, other guy to do it. But as far as I, like seeing it directly, like I can tell, I can see that. I don't I don't think that should be taken out because it's out to now. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think it's incredibly hard to enforce. Definitely um, hard to and, enforce. And I think there are players can get to the point where they are used to 
just like blocking with their fingers. So if it hits, they just play right through it. And it doesn't like they don't show a sign of getting hit. You know, they've been doing it for years. And That's a tough one. Yeah. Right. And you can't catch that. So I think it's just best to even the playing field and um, get rid of finger out. And like the thing is, it's only, you know, it's, I don't think it would have that big a change on playing. And in an ideal world, yes, if it touches, if the ball touches the person and you had a, some kind of sensor system that would go off when it clips someone's fingernail and they're out, that would be amazing. But we're, we don't have that yet. So I think we just back off. I think we just got rid of the finger outs. Um, it'd be easier to call and you're no longer like when's the last time you saw someone in like a quarterfinal, semifinal, final take a finger out? I'm gonna sound bold in saying it, but never. Do you think you don't, you don't think anyone's ever been hitting the finger? No, no, no. I'm not saying no. No, no. You, no, you, no, you asked. Saying, you, you asked me, or maybe I heard it wrong. Did you ask no. me when did I ever see someone take a finger out? Yeah, correct. Right. No, never. I guess look the second. Never. Right. And then now, have I, I seen people get hit in the fingers? Yes. Yeah. So it's just the odds of no one ever getting hit in the fingers in the quarter, semis, or final are super low. It's gonna super happen, low. right? So like what's what's going on there? And I so I, that's it. That's my that's my uh, one one little nuance that not nuance, but what's the thing that they call it? For sure. Uh, not a pet peeve. It's something I think um, <laughs> deregulate finger outs. You know, um, get rid that's of fair. But yeah, okay. Uh, um. But no, yeah, that def- definitely solid points there. Um, following the trend that Israel Bentley sent last year, we kind of touched on this, and you know, you you asked yourself, should finger outs be eliminated? Obviously, yes. Israel Bentley talking to himself in the third person says, yes, he started the trend. Connor Helan, favorite Raiders fill in, yeah, in a recent tournament. Yeah, uh, that, that Connor subbed for us in round one. Mm. And uh, it was a great experience. We've, we've been fortunate. We've had some people fill in. Um, and uh, uh, well, back in 2000, was it 2019, I guess? 18, 19? 19. 19. Um, but um, Cody Foley filled in with us in Vegas, and that was a lot of fun. And Billy uh, Abdallah filled in, and that was a lot of fun. But I'll give it to Connor, the most recent. Um, okay. So the, the, himself uh, up. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. I was yeah, like, I don't know where he was coming from with this one. The road trip, buddy. Him, Paul Means, and I drove out there. Arizona, so I'll, I'll give it to uh, Connor. <laughs> Joe Grant, your favorite dodgeball league to play in? WeHo Dodgeball. I consider myself a WeHo Dodgeball player. Um, <laughs> love that. Uh, so it was a lot of my friends I've made through WeHo Dodgeball. They have a great open environment. It's just a lot of fun. The bar scene afterward is great and a lot of fun. Um, and then that, you know, I would extend that out to Sin City too, because Sin City is an amazing tournament. So, um, yeah. But yeah, we have Dodge Hall's my favorite league. Israel Bentley, if you were, <laughs> Jesus, if you were an 8.5 dodgeball, what brand would you be? And more importantly, what color? Oh, this yeah, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'll see here. Uh, all right, pick a color. Uh, it'd be purple. Purple is uh, 
first Dodgeball team I was on, that, that free agent team was a purple team, so purple. Purple, got uh, it. Purple. Uh, and we're just going to say PG and stick with it. Um, yeah, Charlie, okay. yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Charlie White. Um, yes. Will Cliff do a reunion dodgeball tournament with me when I finish playing team handball or beach handball? We can see if Jonathan Whipple and David Tates and some of the old crew want to join too. We can dress up like wrestlers if that seals the deal. We're all wrestling involved in this one. I don't need to be dressed for the rest of this. My legs are not as in shape as they were four years ago. So I think I, he I means like WWE wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking like, well, if you're going to go wrestling team, you got to get the trunks out. And I do not have the thighs to do the trunks right now. <laughs> so I would, uh, yeah, I would, that, I, I kind of, I've been hoping that Charlie was going to come back to dodgeball at some point. Um, and then, yeah, it would be fun to do, do a tournament in LA sometime. Once those guys are able to do, I know Whipple just had a kid. Congratulations to him. Hey. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I would be totally down to do that. Okay, David Tates, he's a hundred percent in. Um, and this is me going off on David Tates because he swears he can dunk on me for some reason. Um, <laughs> I tell David Tates to acknowledge me, and um, David Tates sends a derogatory meme. Um, he could try it, and I send a Kobe Bryant response. And that's all we're going to go with it. David Tates, you cannot dunk on me, and I will lock you up in the paint. I'm saying that on record. Um, <laughs> I've seen David Tates do a flight kill. I would be shocked if he could dunk. I would be finally <laughs> surprised if he could dunk. He's, I mean, he swears he can. Uh, Jonathan Whipple, I dust off the boots and come out of retirement for Charlie White. Charlie White, claws up? Yeah. Was it like a red lobster thing or something? Yeah, when I we were gonna try to make our own team once, and we were like we we're trying to get a team name. And oh, like, okay. We should be the lobsters, really, we were claws up, and we, we just yeah, it was, it did not come to fruition, but it would have been sick if we would have had a lobster team team. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Charlie White, do you think USA men or women will win a world championship in cloth this year? Oh, I don't. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Like, you know, you had Joe, Joey was on the podcast. I'm very hyped about Joey being on the team. Great dude. I'll say, yeah, of course. US, USA, I always assume they'll win everything, unless it's Men's World Cup. I still think we have some growth there. But uh, I, don't, I don't know enough about the women's cloth game and even, like, the men's cloth outside of, like, outside of the U.S., I don't know a, a ton about cloth. But I've seen the teams that were putting forward both men and women's, and they're well, uh, great players. So I, I, I think they can win. I, I don't know who else is out there, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it too. But I can tell you, I know some killers across the across the seas yeah. that will say otherwise, and uh, kind of pulling for them in that sense. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've watched I've watched the cloth. I mean, I've watched a bunch of like European cloth games. And like the UK cloth games, like on YouTube, and um, it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, they're obviously very good, um, but I, you know, uh, as a homer, I will always pull for the, the US. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because like foam, we have we've been there and we've won, and cloth, um, almost like a new adventure. So uh, I'm excited to see it. But I I like the team they put together. Um, I think they'll do great. 
Sure. Um, Charlie sure. White, next sure. question. Sure. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, nice. Okay, whatever. Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely a homer, but I definitely know some killers across the way. Yeah. Uh, Charlie White, why is the best color for a dodgeball? Okay, I think he, I think Grimet, he wrote this so, wrong. No, what no, is the best, co- I'll, I'll best color and why is it black? All right, I'll answer half his question that you put on here. So when we were looking at creating our own elite team, which then this is before I joined a riot, like um, yeah, Whipple, Charlie and I were talking about it, but it kind of it kind of fell through. But like we're talking, we started to talk about uniforms and all that, and Charlie would just, oh, we gotta do black on black. I'm like, dude, Doom does black on black. Like, there's a black on black team. We can't do black on black. Oh, dude, no black on black. Black. I'm like Charlie, listen, you can't just straight up steal the uniforms of like the best team at the moment, right? You, you can't. Oh, we joined Major League Baseball. And guess what? We're using pinstripes. Sorry, Yankees. We're being the pin. You know, like, come on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he just like would not let it go. And yeah. Now that being said, I do have Raiders. They have a black on black. But Doom is out. Doom doesn't play. Doesn't play right. That's fair. That's fair. You you did you, you did preface that. I will say that. Yeah. Um, what is your fascination with lobsters? Back Hashtag back to, up. That's back to the. For me with team, that's an inside joke. That yeah. About Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares about Charlie. What? No, no one Charlie. cares about Charlie. Everyone cares about Charlie. No one. No one uh, cares about yeah. Charlie. Love, yeah, we lo- we love you, Charlie. If you worked for Facebook, yeah. you would have helped me a lot more than they did, and he knows why. Um, <laughs> if his wife gets pregnant, will he do a dodgeball theme gender reveal? No, absolutely not. Will you do a wrestling one? Absolutely no. It's even oh, she not a huge. My my fiance came to when we were dating. Um, you know, I, was, I told her early on, like, oh yeah, I'm a. It's funny because I was like, I'm obsessed with um, dodgeball, and I still watch pro wrestling. Mm. I was very, I'm very upfront with that early on, so she doesn't think I'm a. You know, she knows I'm a freak starting out, but <laughs> doesn't think I'm some weirdo, right? Later on, uh, but she came to the first. It was like the uh, last. There was a uh, an LA tournament where it was three on three co-ed, right? Three three women, three men, and then you did all three ball types: foam, no sting. The classic. A foam, yeah, LA classic. And she came the watch. She came and watched one round, and it was eight point five. And she showed up like wearing like heels, like boots with like heels in it, and like she was in jeans, and she was dressed. She looked very good, but you know she looked nice, dressed nice. Just nice and showed up in the Jimmy, of course, smells like BO. And there's an 8.5 <laughs> ball flying everywhere. And I had to yeah. sit behind Brent, Brandon from uh, Fortune. I'm like, oh, you got to sit behind that guy because you're going to get lit up. And then she watched the game where it was the team. It was Brett Cobble, uh, Alex, Ryan Haley, and I, and then uh, Bev Rebus and uh, Ryan and Chris, uh, Christina Simos. And we were playing against a team of Ish and Nate Kreider. <laughs> And it was an 8.5 game against Ish and Nick Crowder girl, you know, obviously very good. And we were, everyone, all the guys were getting hit very hard. And she said, she was like, nah, I'm done. She has not been to a dodgeball tournament since, has no interest in it. She is supported that she likes that I have a hobby. Um, it's something that's an interest outside of work and gets me out of the house and, you know, um, 
things like that. But yeah, she no, no dodge and she hates wrestling even more. Uh, oh, I, I can't. I'm not allowed to. You know, she gets mad. Don't get mad, but like I try not to watch wrestling when she's around. So. Yeah. Fair enough. No chance. No chance of that. Yep. No yep. chance of either. I just wanted to throw in the wrestling one just in case. Um, yep. If you could battle anyone in history, dead or alive, one on one in a showdown, who would who would you choose? You know, the answer to this is uh, this is going to be an attempt to answer, but uh, I guess uh, Adolf Hitler, because then you'd ha- he'd be there in person, and I could go uh, kill him with my own bare hands, and just end the whole thing. Word. Um, yeah, I heard. <laughs> I said it. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's it. But uh, yeah. I don't. You know who would be a great dodgeball player? Uh, I think professional athlete-wise. Who would it be? Uh, well, I mean, I, this is going to seem obvious, but the dude has massive hands and he's got a cannon. Uh, but like Aaron Rodgers throwing an eight-point-five ball, he would absolutely put bullet holes in people. Um, <laughs> so it's like, who would you want to play? Uh, not him, but it would be interesting to see him play dodgeball. Um, but, uh, he actually over when the whole Tom Brady thing happened, it came out that he over would try to over inflate footballs to get thrown. So he would be probably be able to clamp an eight point five ball like Ryan Haley and Oof. move like a curveball. Yeah, make it like a baseball. I would like to see that. Yeah, it's either Ryan Haley is going to catch it or he's going to break a rib trying. Dude, it's so funny. Ryan Haley, have you? Because he's got these massive bear paws, and then. He can hold an eight point five ball the way I hold a nose sting, and he would people would always accuse him of pinching because he would get so much movement on it. And I was like, no, dude, he's not pinching. He's, he's got just, massive hands. He's just a he's a grizzly bear. Yeah. And he used to wrestle. Yeah, he, he's a beast. Um, yeah. And then he's he played with us uh, around two um, for eight point five, but yeah, he's like he's retired for the most part. He's got another, he's got three kids and he's getting his MBA and he's got a lot going on. Yeah, uh, but it was fun to have him back for a round. Yeah, for sure. It was it's fun seeing him. Fun being at a West round for the first time in four years. That's incredible yeah. for me. This one I wanted to throw in. Um, what is your favorite promotion and why is it AEW? Uh, not AEW. I'm a really? WWE, I'm a WWF WWE guy. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um. I know. Speaking of trip, speaking of Triple H, man, he cut he cut an amazing promo. Like, it was years ago. I just saw it on Twitter against CM Punk. Yeah, he was just you know just yelling at Punk, saying that you and I are the same. It's just you know, but except when I tell people, I tell people to their face, you know, I'm going to do what I can to get beyond you. You know, I'm you know, I'm going to step over you. I'm going to climb over you. you. Know, he's the game. Right? That's what he does. And yeah, CM Punk like. Oh, you talk about how you you're an advocate for change, but only as long as that change benefits you. And then you won't tell you try to act like you're some martyr, but you're just as selfish as me. It's just I'm more direct about it. And I'm like, yeah, about that, that was that. yeah. He's right about that. I will say that. Um, the uh, reason I, say... I good. I was just the AW. I just I have limited. Uh, you know, it's just so much wrestling. It's hard to watch everything. I right. do like that there's more than one promotion because it gives wrestlers um, more place to work and make a living, right? And then it provides competition, so it brings out the best in um, both groups. Um, but, yeah, I'll always be a WWF guy. Um, I That's think fair. Roman Reigns is the best in the business right now, and he's currently um, with the, uh, the company from the Northeast. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Um, the only reason I would say I like AEW better is because it's not afraid to be what it is. And yeah. there's an element in our culture that I feel is too sensitive. Like, it's okay to be sensitive in some ways, but when it gets to a point where you're altering creativity yeah. just to yeah. appease a certain, just a certain amount of people, you're ruining your demographic. Right. Well, I, I think there is a world where both companies exist, right? We have a, AEW appeals to like the hardcore wrestlers, the wrestling right. fan, right? And then, you know, WWE, you know, they're a sports entertainment company, as they say, right? So they're, you know, they're trying That's to also fair. stadiums and then appeal to the general mass population. So they're trying to do two different things and hopefully they both can coexist. Like you don't, you don't have to have one at the expense of the other. Of course. Um, yeah, but I'm, I've always been a WWF guy. Um, but I do, you know, I like some of what they're doing at AEW. AEW, I don't watch enough to speak on it intelligently. I'll yeah. just tune in every once in a while um, to see, like, when I hear about it on Twitter, and some cool stuff going down. But, yeah. Favorite dodgeball Halloween costume or team? There's another one from Charlie White. Did you play on a Halloween team with Charlie? I feel there's some story behind this. No, I didn't. I don't know. It, um, uh, I you know one of my favorite, I, at Sin City there's a team they did Britney Spears and then every single person <laughs> was a different version of Britney Spears. Um, that was amazing. That'd be my favorite. <laughs> Perfect. Really good. Is there any foreign or domestic location you would like to travel to play dodgeball in? Um. Well, I yeah, eventually, but the problem is um, everything's expensive. You know, uh, I, I, it'd be cool to go play in Europe. You know, you talk about in the UK, how great everyone is at cloth over there. So it'd be fun to go to the UK and learn against the best or, you know, somewhere in Europe against the best. I'm not, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak at school. I don't know who the best cloth teams are. Um, most of my knowledge is based uh, on domestic dodgeball and even beyond that in, on the West region. Um, but it would, it would be fun to... Uh, playing Europe. Well, if you go, let me know. Uh, I'll set you right with the right people. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, will you ever come to play beach handball? How about this oh, August at the SoCal Beach Handball Championship no, in Huntington Beach? He's trying to no? try, try. That's a, Charlie White. Yeah, this guy, Charlie. Yeah, little handball. No, I. It, the cool sport. Great athletes are doing it, uh, but not for me. Would you play on the court, not in the beach? Uh, I mean, in the beach, I got to I gotta shave off like 25 pounds before I start doing that. Beach handball, you know? Uh, fair enough. Um, and we're going to go into the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Just excited to see your name pop up for the podcast. Don't need to fill, field all these random questions for show. Um, I love you, bud. Keep the questions popping up. We'll have to rapid fire these sections. Um, I'm just going to acknowledge this right now. This is going to be a long edit. Uh, and Charlie yeah. White liked for it. Well, hey, one, one question on there that I would like to... Bill Fisher had a question about statistics, how we use it. Uh, did he? Yeah. Oh, he did. He, he literally added this yesterday. Okay. Um, do you want to get to that right now? Yeah, let's do it. Go for it. Uh, how has stat tracking shifted your game over the years? What was an intuitive, unintuitive lesson you learned via stats? So uh, probably the most useful thing 
I learned from stats, or let me reset. Um, when it came to stats, one thing that's difficult about it is like you have creating the, the, the actual data set takes like a lot of time, right? Yeah. Um, it takes time to watch the video, to write everything. And you don't just watch it one game, at least I can't. I can't watch the game all the way through, you know, just watch it once. Like, oh, through this many balls, got that many people out, X, 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 right? I have, you end up, it's, I was doing some, at the FTC, I was doing some games, and it was taking me like an hour and a half to two hours for a 20-minute game. Um, and, but what happened was I had picked a team that had performed well, a team or a couple teams, right? that had done well, and I tried to get as many detailed stats that I thought, you know, information like how, what was the ball count when they threw? How many did they throw? Did they pump fake? Did they not pump fake? Did they hit? Did they not hit? Was there a counter, not a counter? All, all that type of stuff. And then <clears throat> what happens, I build out a data set, and then you, then you start to see what correlates. Like when, you know, how many, how, what percentage of their throws were counters Versus like a set piece, like a set play, right? What percentage, or when they were, you know, how many, when they won games versus when they lost games, did they counter more, counter less? Did they do things like that? And it became helpful for me trying to figure out foam, um, especially with the WBDF rule set, because I don't know the best way to play, right? I don't play it all the time. And so I just started doing detailed stats on foam. And then try to what correlates with the people who are when they're winning. Um, and then it's one thing to find that, and then it's a whole other thing to put that in practice, right? Because right. you got to change your play style and you got to get good at it. Uh, you know, you can't just say, "Oh, well, the good teams do this, so we're going to do it." Um, and you may not be able to do what they do, but uh, yeah. So it the stats are interesting. It, it, what's tough about it is the amount, excuse me, the, the amount of time it takes to get quality stats. Um, that can be a right. to make a decision um, or to change it. And it's just a lot of time because not only yeah. once you get the result, then you got to practice it, right? And then once you – so it takes time to track it all. You got to practice it, and then you got to go play. And uh, I think back in my single days, it would have been easier to do. Um, but now it's been, become tough. And so I, we just had round two. I just finally got my videos uploaded. And then I'm going to start tracking some things um, to see if there's any any outliers stick out of um, you know what we shouldn't be doing. Like who, you know, if when we win, who throws the most, right? If we lose, right? Is there a difference between who's throwing when we win and who's throwing when we lose? Is there a difference between are we throwing single balls or double balls between them? like you know and just kind of go with open mind and see what pops out, and then you dig in to see why. What is it about that? Um, yeah. So I'd be interested to learn more. It's just so damn hard to build out a data set and manipulate in order to make a decision. Yeah, it, it really is. It does take a lot of time. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Factorin, what are we doing for WrestleMania next year? Yeah, it's in LA. I guess we would try to go. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that's pretty much the only thing, right? Yeah. Well, it'll try be to go if you can. Um, we'll probably get the rock versus Roman Reigns, I would think. But yeah, I, dude, I would hope if that's the case, just just to see, not just to see the Rock come back, but just to potentially end the bloodline. That's what I would think. That would it, you want to see the win, right? Yeah, that's what that's what it is. 
Hopefully I'm not <laughs> rambling too much. But, uh, uh, you're, I mean, no, 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 it's fine. Like I, I make no apology for how long episodes take. Uh, I know yeah. I joke it's going to be a long edit. It's worth it. I'm talking to a good friend of mine. I'm having fun yeah. with it. Why not? All right, Charlie White, with this final question, I feel like there's a bit of a dig at this one. Has there ever been a better time to be a Liverpool FC fan? Yeah, there has been. I mean, they only won they won the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup. Like it's a, a <laughs> double. Like it's, it's for a team that's supposed to be the best team in Europe. Like you didn't even win the league. Not the best team in England. So yeah, I think there's a a better time to be a Liverpool fan. Is is Charlie a Liverpool fan? Is that what it is? Nah, he's just is he just trolling? He's trolling. Oh, okay. he's, spamming the, he's spamming the comments. Uh, yeah, I mean, this they I guess they achieved. The equivalent of a 1993 Arsenal, where they won the, the league cup and the FA Cup. I mean, they're yeah. obviously good, but uh, yeah, they didn't quite win the quadruple that everyone was hyping them up to do. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to do. That's why only one of those teams have won the treble. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, okay, um, I'm gonna save Whipple's question for last. I feel there's a funny story behind that. Benjamin yeah. Johnson, favorite Pokemon, and why is it Clefairy? You're a Pokemon fan. You know, I uh, no, it's because my name's Clefairy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, I played, I played, you know, I played Pokemon cards like in middle school, um, and I, you know, I played the Game Boy games. But yeah, it's funny. I as a as a kid growing up, like when I was young, I used to get uh, teased for being Clifford the Big Red Dog, right? Oh and no! Then, and then it moved into Clefairy once Pokemon was big when I was in middle school. And then, um, you know, growing up in uh, Indiana, where I grew up, with uh, less tolerant and open minds, um, I would get uh, would make fun of for my last name being Fairy. But um, yeah, because you know, <laughs> yeah. So I got it, and then uh, eventually, you know, as a as a chubby middle schooler, uh, it can be tough to deal with. And then I started to play football, and I grew to be six two, and all of a sudden it stopped. I forget the exact <laughs> reason why. But no, yeah, Clefairy, I, I don't have any tattoos. If I were to get one, I would get a Clefairy tattoo because we, we share a name. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I, I I'm ashamed I didn't think that it was like a play on for the for the name. Um, yeah, that was so when you pretty say clever. It, you, may not, you may not think of it when you say Clef, you know, Clefairy. It's Clefairy, Clefairy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. I, yeah, I did, I, in college, remember when I first got to college, uh, everyone was like, oh, dude's like, Clefairy. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. And people were like, posted Clefairy stuff on my door. So I had Clefairy pictures over my door for a while. Which I don't mind. I mean, it's good. Yeah, I, it sounds funny. I don't, yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. He's a nice one. He's not one of the mean, scary ones. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, he really is one of the nice ones. Jonathan Whipple. <laughs> Rough estimate of total cost spent buying you back in Warzone. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, much time. I, well, I spend more on tapes, probably, but uh, really, yeah, yeah. So I, I got into Warzone. So I used to play Call of Duty, um, but like, well, I have a, like if I get into a video game, it is uh, it is an actual distraction for me from like everyday life because I get super into it. And then yeah. without having dodged while during the pandemic, I got into Call of Duty again. And, it, you know, it's something, anytime you can get better at something, um, 
that's why I got into dodgeball. I was like, oh, I can get better if I do this, if I change, get a better controller, if I switch from playing all buttons to getting the paddles and then all that, you know, and then would start playing a bunch and leveling up guns and watching Twitch videos and figure out how to get better. And it did a real deep dive. And so now coming out of the pandemic, I'm trying to shift out of that, right? And be, you know, get back into dodgeball, get back into that, you know, getting back into actual gym, mm. things like that. But yes. So you would, a you would say out of everyone in, in, in the crew, it's actually Tate's that gets spent more money on? Well, I don't know. He gets bought back the most. I don't – It's his name always appears at the top of a name, right? <laughs> I don't know why, but, like, he'll get – there's times where he'll get bought back twice before one of us get bought back once. Because, like, if you're sliding into the buy station and, like, you're on – you know, you do it quickly, you'll buy the first name, and it's always him. Um, so I think because of that – not reflective of skill, it would be Tate. So, okay, this is going to be a part two to that question I'm going to throw in. Who spends more time in the gulag between you, Whipple, Tate? So, essentially, who gets killed the most and then Brandon? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I my, I think of the four of us, Whipple has the best KD ratio. I think I'm second. So either Tate or Brandon, but uh, I'm always happy to bring everybody back. Team effort, you know? Team effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? That's the funny thing. I, I've never played – so the only time I've ever played first-person shooters was Halo yeah. and Call of Honor. Yeah, I do. I used to – I loved Halo. I, uh, yeah, I I used to play a lot of Halo. I used to do – when the system link and go play with people. <laughs> it was great. Oh, man. So let, let's get this straight. So Tate cannot dunk on me. And yeah. he's the one that actually gets bought back the most. All right, I'm seeing a trend here. By, uh, by default, by default, that's not a reflection of his skill. That's I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's alphabetical order. He pops up first. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Well, I don't so, play so. Call of Duty, so I I know maybe like surface area stuff. Like I know Gulag. I know. Well, you, when you come, if you don't, like, when you when you get eliminated, right? Then you can buy someone back, and. When you go to the buy station, it'll have the list of people you can buy back of your team. Mm. For whatever reason, his is always first in the order. So, He's getting sniped. When you don't, when you don't, well, no, it, I mean, it could be, you know, it's got nothing to do with how many times you kill. It's just for whatever reason, his name just pops up first. So I'm just going to say he got sniped and, and we're going to roll with right. that. You can take it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so just play. No. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love David Tates. I miss him yeah. Yeah. dearly. He's eight hours north of me, but there's always a, a thing where we just have to clown each other. So. Hey, man, if you're in Northern California, go play at River City Dodgeball. They're doing River City game. Dodgeball. Um, they, they do free dodgeball like every Saturday, I believe. So go check and that out. I think they have a last man standing at the end of it. So if you want to take yeah. part of that, go right for it. Uh, also hit up David Tates at Nine Fingers at uh, Instagram. Talented uh, musician. I will say that out of you know out of all the jokes I've given him, I've had nothing but respect. But he will not see me on the court. He's moved eight hours north for that reason alone. Um, <laughs> so as we wrap this up, definitely a fun interview. Um, solid way to start off season six as far as the as far as the interview series goes. But I want to ask you um, the legacy question. So yeah. how would you like to be remembered once you step off the court for the final time? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I don't. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, going through some of your other interviews, you know, you go, oh, what's your legacy? And you have people who like have all these medals and all the things that they've won. Um, and I, 
you know, I would hope, you know, I, I want Raiders to get to the point where we want, or, or we compete at a higher level, like we start to win some stuff. Um, but I think my life, I want my legacy to be um, that I was a good dodgeball player that encouraged newer people and other people to keep playing within dodgeball. Um, and I think about that time where I was in that San Diego league where everyone on my free agent team quit. And I want to be the guy I want to be known for. Like when we play new teams, you know, uh, we may be beating you, but I don't start horsing around and like, oh, like be almost disrespectful by, oh, well, we're only throwing left hands now. And you know, everyone's yeah. goofing around. And the other team can, it's embarrassing to be on the other side. I've been on that side. I've been the new person who doesn't know what's going on. And I've seen more experienced people just laugh you off and think you're a joke. And it's uh, it's embarrassing and it's not fun. And but I want to be the guy that um, was known for. Oh, he was a good dodgeball player. But you know what? Even when if he beat me or um, his team beat me, you know, he came and talked to me afterwards. He gave me some pointers on how to get better, and he encouraged me to keep playing. And so I wanted to keep getting better. So uh, I want to be known for helping helping recreational teams grow because we need the rec team. We need people to come up the rec teams. Right, because only a certain number of people joining rec teams will stay in rec leagues, right? And you need yeah. a certain X number, X percentage of the rec leagues to stay on, and a certain percentage of that to then play in the more competitive dodgeball leagues. Like, and it's up to not just the league managers, but the the veterans and the better players have a big say in who comes back. And uh, I. I think sometimes players don't realize the impact that you have on new people because yeah. they definitely know who you are and you have no idea who they are. Um, so it's important to carry yourself with a positive attitude and be respectful because you, that one interaction can be the difference between a league growing, you know, people coming back and growing the league and a league not growing. And I think a great example of like what I would like to do is like Dan Robertson. You know, he's been putting on free dodgeball throughout the pandemic at Poinsettia Park. He shows up with nets and balls and just gets the league going. And they have a co-ed team, like the Poinsettia, I think they're called Poinsettias or something. Yeah. And it's, it's a co-ed team that they put together with people who started playing in that league. And he doesn't, you know, he's doing it for free. He's, you know, bringing all the nets and the balls and setting up and he's doing it to, to grow it. And there's some, been some good players who are coming out of that poinsettia setting and moving into leagues. And then we've already started to see some pop up and um, you just said from your tour. So I guess that would, uh, that would be my legacy. Um, yeah. I want to do that. I want to get back to like WeHo Dodgeball. I want to, you know, WeHo Dodgeball, West LA, things like that. I want to, want to help encourage people to keep playing and to encourage people to get better. Um, and to play more competitive dodgeball. I would definitely agree with you on a lot of things. Um, I, 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 I want to credit you for pulling yourself from your bootstraps, so to speak. Um, yeah. I admire your grit, that Midwestern thing we both share. I admire, yeah. I admire your grit and your perseverance and your overall positive vibes. And I think you definitely exemplify that. <laughs> um, well, thank you. 
uh, I, I will say anyone who's ever played with you, me being one of them, can definitely say that. I think you're way more level-headed than I am at times, and I'll admit that. Yeah. Well, especially when uh, I don't drink. I stopped drinking and playing dodgeball because I did it, and I'm like, oh, boy, that wasn't fun. Uh, yeah, I never do and that. So, so I, I, I've learned my lesson. Um, yeah, and I always try to be level-headed. Um, yeah. That that's not me personally. I I don't drink and play. Yeah, I, it's not. not, it's not I don't I don't do it. it others can not judging, um, but it, it was not for me. But yeah, well, thank you for saying the nice things. But I, I I will say that like you're gonna you're definitely gonna grow within the sport. I would definitely love to see you on Team USA at some point. Um, yeah. Overall, uh, as a player, you're awesome. As a teammate, as the captain, you're great. You're a solid leader. As a friend, man to man, I love you to death. And like I mentioned earlier, Whipple has saved me in several instances, whether he realized it or not. Um, mentally, you also have done that as well. Well, um, I, I, it or not, you pulled me, whether it was from a gesture or a solid conversation or even just joking around with me, you pulled me from several dark times that I've had, whether you knew it or not. And I want to take the time to thank you on the record because at the time I didn't realize it till long after the fact. So, yeah. Well, Sergio, I got nothing but love for you and you're a good friend. And um, thank you for all the kind. One of the things I really like about you is like, you know, before I got onto this, right, I went back and re-listened to some of the podcasts. I wanted to, Though it, it seemed like I was scramble, I, I did try to prepare. Um, but <laughs> it, the the amount of nice things that you had to say about people, and it comes from your heart, and you're a very genuine person. You said very genuine things, and I really like that about you. It's great. It's all you it makes you. It's a very great thing about you, and we need more of that in dodgeball. Um, so I appreciate you, sir, and thank you for the the nice things that you had to say about me. Um, Thanks. Thank um, saying that as I'm kind of choking on my water bottle right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> before we wrap up, are there any final shout outs you'd like to give? Um, let's see here. Yeah, my, I, uh, you know, current team, go Raiders dodgeball. Um, also, to, uh, round two, there's a new women's team from Seattle. They're called Sleepless, like Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. I don't know why. I thought that was just the best. <laughs> I've never paid for another team's like jersey. I will buy a sleepless in Seattle, a sleepless Seattle jersey, and also whisper Aaron Gabbard's team, like and both Seattle ladies teams. I will, I will buy. I, I love the uh, fortune, and I think whisper does it too. The like kind of the the Croatia national team checkered pattern. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Team. Yeah. Yeah. So sleepless. What a what a great team name. Um, and also, hey, everybody, remember, when you're designing your new dodgeball jersey, uh, less is more. Less um, is more. <laughs> Thank you. Pocket, less is more with the uniform. All right. And that was my interview with Cliff, a uh, really good friend of mine. Thank you so much for hopping on and sharing with us your story. Um, definitely good talking to a fellow Midwesterner as well, as well as a fellow L.A. citizen, I guess you could say. Uh, as you can tell, Cliff is one of my favorite people. So talking to him to kick off season six is a huge, huge honor on my end. Um, but I also want to shout out David Tates for what he started over in, in Sacramento. Um, check out River City Dodgeball on Instagram. Also check out his musical handle, Nine Fingers. 
the man can drop some bars and I can attest to it. Um, that being said, stay tuned for more interviews. I'm also putting together a, um, a format to talk about uh, Euros. Um, hopefully going to continue the uni series with any in, uh, interested parties. Hopefully going to do more interviews with couples. Not really too, <laughs> for those who know, probably not really interested in covering worlds, at least as of now. But who knows, maybe my mind can change. Um, but stay tuned for more interviews and recaps as we start uh, kick off season six. And if you listened up until this point, thanks so much and have a wonderful day.